Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. So this morning, we're going to be continuing our series on the doctrine of sin. I hope that even though it's been heavy, I hope that this has been a helpful sermon series for you. Scott has been carrying uh, all the preaching loads so far on this series. I think this is week five, maybe now in this series. Um, For me, as we've been in this series, I'm realizing more and more how culturally and even in churches, this topic of talking about sin is continually pushed to the periphery. Nobody wants to talk about sin and its destruction and its cause and how it is within each of us. But what's interesting is hopefully you're seeing this, that only if we really understand how jacked up we are because of sin, only then does the good news of Jesus really become really good news. A lot of people don't think the good news of Jesus is that good because they don't really know how much they desperately need Jesus. Only by looking at the darkness, you could say, can we really see how strong our hope is, which is why this series is called Death to Life. So far, as I said, we've been seeing how uh, sin is this power that has been unleashed in this world through Satan, through Satan the deceiver, that we corporately and individually have rebelled against God. And our sin, as Scott has been showing us, leads to separation on multiple levels. We are first off separated from God. We are outside of right relationship with God, which then as Scott showed us last week, means we're also separated from ourselves. You are separate. You don't even know how and why you think and act the way you do because you are separated, brokenly disconnected from yourself. Scott showed us last week how we are always living in fear so we hide. We hide who we really are. We hide our past. We hide our, the things that we don't want to talk about. We constantly live in shame. So we cover ourselves up with fancy clothes or fancy careers or things that we think will make us look really good because we live in shame. But what's the way forward? You might not like what James has to say to you. For some of you, it might unsettle you. For some of you, it might infuriate you. It might depress you. But friends, hear me out. If you understand what James is saying, it also might liberate you. Like when a doctor tells you there's more bad news before I get to the good news. We have to look at what James is saying about what causes conflict, what causes this warfare. Is it to just cut people out? Is that the way forward? Is it to oppose people who are toxic people? That's what our culture would say to do. Just get rid of those people. Is it to belittle or just ignore the people who counter you? Is it to just cut off people on the other side of the political spectrum who disagree with you? What does James say is the way forward? James 4. What causes these quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. 
you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passage. Friends, right here, James gives the diagnosis and the prognosis. He doesn't say the problem is all the people out there, but the problem is actually me. The problem is actually you. The problem is your own sinful heart and my own sinful heart that is at the very center of this problem. So let's look at part two, the prognosis, understanding your own heart. And I'm just going to say again, before you get mad at me, before you seek to defend yourself and tell me why it's all the other people out there who are the real problem, let's hear out James. Let's hear what James has to say. Let's understand and examine that the real problem behind the fact that there is conflict and separation because of sin is actually because of our own heart. So let's look at this world of passions, this word that James uses to describe the very center of the problem. James, as you know, and as you've maybe heard in other parts of this sermon series, there's this language of warfare. There's this language of opposition. And it's the battle, not just with other people, but James says it is the battle for your own longings, your own desires, your quest for fulfillment. Every day you are battling to get what you most deeply want. And for a lot of us here maybe today, you don't even really know that you're doing it. This word that James used, look at, he uses these different words, passions, desires, this word for coveting, what we most dearly want, it is these things that James is saying is the real center of the conflict. It is these things that have captured us so deeply that we will do anything to have them. The things that offer us release or comfort or an identity or rescue from what we hate so much about our life. It is these treasures, these passions that we seek out that actually produces our separation and our conflict. What are examples of this? For some of you, I know for me, we love our comfort. We love our control. We love things going according to how we, in our wisdom, think sh things should go. That could be someone on the road driving a stupid way. That could be a relationship where you're like, no, no, this is the best way to get things done. And someone, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's someone on TV talking about how the world should be run. And you say, no, you're an idiot. You don't know what the real problem is. Friends, it is our own passions, our own cravings that we long for that's the very center of it all. For some of you, maybe you long for power. Just to, I'm fine as long as everything goes exactly how I say it should go. Spouses, those in relationships with another person. Is this at work in your relationship? Again, James uses this language of warfare. Some of us are a little more covert in our warfare. You know, maybe more like some guerrilla warfare tactics. You know, a little hit and run, a little jab here, but then you kind of back up. Oh, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. You really should have done it that way, but no, I'm fine. Is that you? 
I know sometimes that's how me and my wife Jana interact, but sometimes it's just like full scare, scale open warfare. Like we bring out the big guns. I'm like, oh, you think I'm the problem? Let me tell you why you don't know how to raise our baby. Yeah, that actually came out of my mouth one time. What side would you take? Are you a more guerrilla warfare tactic person? Kind of sneaking in, little subtle tactics, passive aggressive? Or are you just more full on like, oh no, I will be in your face with this warfare. Friends, it is our passions, our longings, the things that we most desperately want. But friends, all of those things, even when we want good things, wanting a little rest and relaxation is not sinful in and of itself. But what if that desire becomes the ultimate thing that you will do anything to get? If you think about it, we will do what we want, not even realizing that we are being marred and affected by sin. And friends, if you think about it, what we've seen in this series so far, that's exactly what Adam and Eve did in Genesis 3. They decided you know what? I think we know what's best here. I think I know what is in my best interest. God, he kind of told us what he wants, but I really want this. So I think I know what's in my best interest. So I'm going to do that. If you think about it, what causes fights and quarrels among you, James would say? Well, the very first marital conflict of all time was because of that very thing. First marital conflict ever in the garden, Genesis 3. Their own passions and desires led them to say, God, I think I know what's in my best interest. Which, by the way, again, you don't have to believe what I'm saying. You don't have to believe what God is saying. But you're going to have to figure out and do a lot of work to say, here's why everything is broken, and here's why I think what I'm doing is in my best interest, and it's going to work out way better than what the actual maker and creator of the universe said is going to work out. Does that make sense? You're going to have to figure out for yourself what is in your best interest if you don't actually believe that God actually has your best interest in mind. So friends, in our relationships, the problem is your own heart and desires. The problem is that you want things so badly, you will do whatever possible to get them. I'm not saying that there is never any blame in other people. But friends, until we do the business of understanding our own hearts, really knowing what really is driving us, these passions, these desires at work within us, we use the word at redemption a lot, idolatry, the things that we want even more than we want God. Again, we're not all like, oh, my truck is my idol. But friends... If your truck gets a little ding on it and you lose it, it might be more important to you than it should be. If you just like really need to like get that extra five minutes of sleep and the baby's crying in the background, if you just really wanted to go like to this place for dinner and then you had all these plans lined up and then it all just blows up because of somebody is driving slow or something else happens and then you lose it, I think there's a little bit of idol worship going on there. Think your heart and your passions are bowing down to something rather than actually saying, God said he's a good father. He's got to be a good father. Even this, I don't see it. 
but can I believe that God actually has my best interests in mind, even in this thing not going my way? I could tell you many, many stories of many, many fights, even though Jana's not here, she would be okay with it because we pretty open about it, of just times when we would be fighting about the dumbest things, and it seemed so real, and like, she's so wrong, and she thinks I'm so wrong, then we actually get to the end of it, and it's just like, oh yeah, I really wanted this to happen because I was just scared that if it didn't go my way, that maybe these people would think poorly of us. Even this last week, Halloween, we're going to go trick-or-treating with our missional community. We're going to dress up our cute little nine-month-old baby as like a chunky little pumpkin and go walk around a neighborhood. Like, how blissful, right? Guys, there was warfare before that. There was, here's what I think we need to do. We need to go here at this time, and then we're going to see my parents, and then we're going to see your parents, and then we're going to be doing this thing. <laughs> Nate thought he had plans. Jana had plans, too. <laughs> And those plans did not line up well. And for those of you who maybe saw us that night, you're like, oh yeah, look at Nate and Jenna and cute little Beatrice. Friends, there was warfare going on before that. We had expectations. We had desires. We had our longings that all got exposed. So ask yourself, we live in a world, again, this will change the way you see culture and our reality. Everyone's always saying, here's the real problem. It's those types of people that do this type of thing. Those type of people that view politics in this way. Or those types of people who view other nations differently. Or the people who look differently than you. Or the people at your job who, ah, if they would just see it this way, then it would all be better. Friends, the problem's not out there. The problem's right here. It's what I want so badly. That as James says, we will covet, we will murder, even if just in our minds. Friends, often you, me, the world we live in is just casting the stone saying, there's the problem, let me talk louder. Here's why you're an idiot and I actually know what's best. And what's interesting though is this is not limited to our culture. It's not just our cultural moment where everybody's just blaming everybody else. No, I want to tell you a story that happened about 100 years ago. I think it will help us understand this a little bit more. There was a man named G.K. Chesterton. Has anybody ever heard of G.K. Chesterton? Lived about 100, okay, fair amount of people. Back in the 1900s when he lived, he lived in England, the London Times, which is the British daily newspaper for the British people, they sought to figure out what's wrong with the world today. You know, they had gone through World War II, economic downturn, millions of people killed across all of Europe. So they said, what's wrong with the world today? Similar to our friend James, What's causing all of these fights and quarrels? Do you hear the similarity between those questions? And this man, G.K. Chesterton, he was a literary critic. He was an art critic. He was an eloquent man, super well-spoken. He was a believer in Jesus. He was a philosopher. He responded to the literary, to the, the newspaper editor who wrote the question, what's wrong with the world today? And the, and the newspaper actually sought out different people in society to answer it. So he wrote an essay, it's called an essay, 
responding to that question, what is wrong with the world today? And I have put the whole essay on the slide behind me. You can put it up there now. Here is his response. What is wrong with the world today? Dear sir, I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. Friends, he knew what the real problem was. He knew the issue was not out there. He knew the issue was within himself and within each one of us. So, diagnosis, this loss of shalom, what is the way forward? Understanding our own hearts. To realize that at the center of our separation is our own rebellion, not just against God, not our separation from God, not just our separation from ourselves, but our separation from each other is because of our own passions, desires, longings at war within each of us. And again, I'm not telling you or forcing you that you have to take my word for it, but what other solution would you give? What other solution would you offer for what's really wrong with the world today? And friends, let me tell you, if you feel tempted to despair right now, if you are increasingly realizing, yeah, maybe I am the problem, I want you to know that beginning to understand that maybe you are the issue is actually the only way to make you a perfect candidate for the grace of God in Jesus. There's bad news, yeah. You are the problem. And there's really good news. Jesus Christ came for people who know I'm the problem. I'm raising my hand high. I know I'm the problem. If you begin to understand this, friends, if you are willing to acknowledge that maybe God's right, <laughs> maybe James is actually describing reality, if you actually can begin to move your mind and your heart to understand that, friend, the deepest hope in the world is there for you. You realize that your greatest indictment ever, that you're the real problem, is actually your greatest hope. When you realize that your own heart condemns you, then you realize that Jesus has come for people like you who are damnable sinners. Sinners who are the perfect candidates for the grace of Jesus. Sinners who are the ones that Jesus came and literally wanted to hang out with. Literally wanted to sit at a well and just talk with a woman who was a sinner, who knew she was a sinner. Jesus who wanted to come and not just lecture at people and tell them how much they sucked at everything, but he literally just wanted to come and say, hey, you wanna grab some fish and bread? You wanna have a meal together? He actually wanted to come for the sinners. The only people who can come to God in this way are the people who, like James says in verse 8, people who draw near as sinners are those who know how desperately jacked up they are. So what I want us to do now is we're actually going to pause here. We're going to talk more about this next week. We're going to be diving more into how understanding our own hearts actually positions us to not just fully receive the grace of Jesus, but to actually know how to live in humility with those who normally would be separated from us. What we're actually going to see, I'm just going to spoil the whole sermon for you right here. 
we're going to see how Jesus makes the shalom breakers the very people by which he uses to restore shalom. That's what being a Christian is. You are someone who has been brought from death to life, and now you are sent into the world as a shalom restoration agent. It's pretty incredible. We're going to look at more of that next week. So for some of us, though, this might be new for you. You might have never heard anything like this before. Well, friends, let me tell you, this is the very essence. This is the center of the Christian faith. That only sinners, only the people who really know how bad they are, are actually candidates for God's grace. Only those who in their desperation turn to God can actually then find really good news. So if this offends you, that's the point. It's supposed to. We often are so convinced of our goodness that we really aren't that bad. There's a lot worse people out there. Friends, we often are so assured in our goodness that we forget who we really are, and we continue to blame. For other, others, excuse me, for others, maybe you know Maybe this isn't new to you. Maybe you've heard sermons like this before about actually understanding how you're a sinner and understanding your idolatry. Well, friend, maybe this morning for you, if this isn't new for you, maybe you need to take this understanding and apply it to separation in your life. Consider that maybe the problem with separation in your life with different relationships might just not be the other person. It might be you. This is what we call gospel fluency. This is what we mean when we talk about how the good news of Jesus speaks into all of life, including our everyday conflicts with people. So we're going to pause. We're going to stop here. But I just have some questions for us that I would like us to consider. So if you want to write these down, take a picture of this, I would ask you that this week you consider these questions. In what ways do you need God's help for reconciliation and recovery where sin has only brought separation. Do you need courage? Do you need wisdom? Do you need to maybe figure out what to do with the fact that you're so angry? In what ways do you need God's help? In what ways, second question, in what ways do you see that your own sin and passion has actually created the separation from others? Third question, is there anyone whom you need to pursue or talk with regarding this sin, your sin, and separation? Is there anyone you need to talk to? Is there anyone you might need to go to? And if you don't even know the answer to that, Scott and I would love to talk to you after the sermon. There's kind of this, you know, Scott and I always end, I'm just going to say this right now, like, we always end our gathering saying, if you need to talk to a pastor, we'll be up front. And everyone's probably thinking like, oh, walk of shame. I'm not going to walk up there in front of everybody and talk to a pastor. Friends, that's stupid. If you want to talk to a pastor, great, come and talk to us. No one's going to judge you for that. But also, talk to each other too. Talk to your friends. Talk to your spouse. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.